Welcome to Blue Collar Love, the Starflyer 59, Jason Martin, and all related projects extravaganza. My name is Samuel. And I'm Aaron, and today we have a special guest joining us tonight, the one, the only, the incomparable Mark Solomon of Stage Saker, out Outer Circle, Dion, let's <laughs> go on and on and on and on. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Mark. You Absolutely. We are super stoked about this. Um, I know Aaron has been excited since we started this podcast. He has been, I want to get Mark Solomon on here. I want to talk to him. We're going to do this. And we started this four yes, years absolutely. ago. So. <laughs> yeah. Been waiting for this for a while. <laughs> All right, man. Well, All right. Let's do it. So to get us kicked off here, question number one, um, Aaron mentioned some of it, but how would people know you? What um, what work or what have you done that people would be familiar with? Uh, well, I've been around for a long time, so sometimes people just know me because I am like a barnacle and I won't seem to go away, I guess. Uh, I started off uh, back in the early days in the mid-80s, like 1984. I, uh, 84, 85, I, I joined a band called the crucified. This is predating any kind of tooth and nail or, or, uh, even some of the later sort of smaller Christian, um, rock labels. Like I think frontline was one of them and, and, um, blonde vinyl and all that kind of stuff. We were just a, uh, punk rock band from central California and um i mean we kind of we were part of the whole kind of christian making music that uh other people are listening to movement i guess i don't know you know um because there weren't so many bands our name got around a lot so a lot of people kind of heard of me from that you know and then um just over the years i you know the crucified was around for about eight years um i the band broke up in uh, 93 and I went kind of insane and then uh, was brought back to earth, thankfully. And uh, shortly after that, ended up in a band called Staves Acre, uh, right when uh, Tooth and Nail Records was sort of forming. And so I was kind of always around those circles, you know, and, and uh, Tooth and Nail, you know, owes a lot of its success to a lot of the bands that were around even before us, but but more importantly, the people like Cornerstone, uh, the Cornerstone Festival in particular was a huge, huge launching pad for Tooth and Nail. So there's a lot of people there with similar interests and similar beliefs. And I just happened to be there when that was happening. You know, when the Crucified first started, the idea of there ever being a Tooth and Nail Records was ridiculous and not even anything anybody expected. We were all just trying to make music that we weren't embarrassed of and, you know, trying to find our place in the world. Okay, there's some other bands you left out. You wanna, you cool with that? Oh yeah, yeah, sure. No, I mean, I, I see I did, uh, I did The Crucified. Um, I did Staves Acre. Uh, after that, I ended up doing um, well, a lot of different stuff kind of along the way. Staves Acre's still sort of together, but uh, since then, um, while we were, I don't know how deeply you wanted me to go into my own history, man. So, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, I guess we're going to cover. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, uh, in, in the midst of all that stuff, I, I, I 
found different bands to jam with. You know, in between the Crucified and, and Stavesacre, I did join a band called um, Outer Circle with with my buddy Kevin Cribs and uh, Jesse Nason. And uh, we were we were down in uh, in Orange County, uh, just sort of waiting. You know, I didn't really know what was going to come musically. Um, and I wanted to do a record with my buddy because we were friends for a long time. Um, but it just kind of didn't really materialize until after Stavesacre got together and had been around for a while. We sort of went back and did an Outer Circle record just because we always kind of wanted to do that. Um, somewhere along the way doing uh, Stavesacre, we, uh, we demoed some songs, I believe, for our album, How to Live with a Curse. Um, we demoed them at our poker buddy, Jason Martin's house um, in his studio. And uh, that's really... You know, Dirk, Stagecaker's bass player, um, was really closer to Martin than I was at the time. Um, but he, you know, we all sort of we'd play poker and stuff like that and get together at, at festivals or whatever. But it was always just kind of like a hey, hey, how you doing kind of deal. And um, I don't know, re reconnecting, doing that uh, demo, Martin was like, why don't you come over? Let's, let's do some stuff together, you know, something completely different. And uh we ended up doing Neon Horse, and um, I don't know. We did a couple records of that, and also uh, in the in that process, one of the guys who was who was really uh, a contributor to some of the early Neon Horse stuff, in particular, like editing and things like that, was uh, Stephen Dale, the bass player from Project Eighty Six. So, Steve and I um, had been friends for years, you know, uh, Stavesacre and Project toured quite a bit and played a lot of shows together in Orange County, although we never really played with Starflyer other than maybe a festival here and there. Um, anyway, I, um, you know, going through the Neon Horse thing, Steve Dale and, and Jason Martin are, are really good friends and they've known each other for years and years. So all three of us spent a lot of time together when we did that first album. And then sometime after that, um, Steve wanted to do his own thing. Uh, we so we did an album called White Lighter, this little self-titled record, and put it out on uh, Northern Records, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and then you know I've done a lot of peripheral stuff here and there. When the Crucified was around, I mean I was I, I I was on a thousand different bands or records, and and since then I've been on a bunch of records. But it's just it's a lot of bands that all live in the same area, so we all kind of know each other, you know. We just end up doing stuff together. So those Why are many of the ways <laughs> that uh, <laughs> poker plays a part in all this. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Poker and a, a game called Skipjack, hugely uh, influential. We have we talked to Jeff Cloud once, and we heard legends of uh, Jason Martin and Skipjack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and dark and black cloud and black cloud. <laughs> there's a. Uh, there was a thing back in the day and I, I, it's it's so far removed now that I think it's kind of fun to talk about. Um, I want to say this, but I don't want to say the person just because I don't want to bum anybody out. But we're going to say that's their fine. initials are, are ABC just because that's generic. Um, we used to do a thing called uh, ABC Carlo and um, it was an office in Orange County. Um there's about nine people who will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, there's an office in Orange County where we all used to get together and smoke cigars and probably quite a few cigarettes and play poker and blackjack and 
uh, we bought a little roulette wheel. Um, we had a blackjack dealer and everything. And it was all just a bunch of buddies. And that was really kind of how everybody got to know each other, you know. Um, and I don't know, man. There was, uh, there was some good times. It was a lot of fun. Very innocent. Okay. Well, um, before we move on to Neon Horse and some other things, I just want to um, probably the, the the project you're most um, um, recognized for, Stave Saker. Can you just like briefly or not so briefly just tell us how that band came about, sure. how you came up with that name and just overview of that? Sure. Um, so, you know, after the Crucified broke up, um, you know, I, I had a pretty major identity crisis towards the end of crucified i was trying to do rap music and have no idea what i'm doing there and uh just you know complete white privilege taking over i guess and uh i don't know really <laughs> uh led into a time of my uh, uh of my nebuchadnezzar phase you know when the crucified broke up and uh i found myself alone as a as a fake musician who couldn't actually do anything um I was just sort of out there, you know, things were bad, man. A couple months there, not really living anywhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, trying to find work and figure out what I'm going to do. Um, since it turns out that being a singer in a punk rock band, especially a, a Christian punk rock and thrash band, doesn't really qualify you for anything. So uh, I... <laughs> I didn't know what to do, you know, I mean, I was, yeah. Yeah. I, was, I went, you know, I went a little nuts and, uh, you know, uh, I went to a coffee shop with my buddy, Renee Vasquez. Uh, he's from a, a hip hop group called Peace 586 and used to be um, uh, Freedom of Soul. You know, Renee called me one night when I was at the, at the apartment by myself. I'd finally gotten a place to live um, and uh he said, you got to get out of that room. I'm come get you. And uh, he picked me up and took me down to uh, Orange County um, where I had, you know, played uh, a thousand shows during the Crucified, but I just never really spent any time down there. Um, he brought me out from the San Joaquin Valley or from the San Fernando Valley. So we go down and we enter interact at this coffee shop with a bunch of these dudes that were in all these bands I used to play with. And I realized that I, got, I do actually know people, you know, maybe I could hang around with these people. They were really nice to me and really kind to me. And um, a guy, uh, Tim Mann was in the band Focused. Tim uh, was talking to me. We were crucified. He played a ton of shows with Focused. And Tim says, uh, Hey, you know, we need a, we need a roommate. We, um, we have a, a room in our, three-bedroom apartment there's six other guys living in this apartment but if, if uh, somebody wanted to come and pay 150 bucks a month for rent they'd have their own room and i was like uh, i don't know anybody man you know i just <laughs> wasn't really thinking too straight uh, i got back up to san fernando valley after that that night um realizing that i i was very very lonely and uh i thought what am i even doing up here so I quit my job, broke my lease in, uh, I guess it would be, you know, the end of summer in 93. And I moved down to Orange County to live in this apartment with these guys. And wow. I literally, I showed up with nothing, dude. I, I, I had no money. 
I had uh, enough gas to get my truck, this beat up old truck that all my possessions were in. Um, and I had been living in for a while. <laughs> uh, took truck down there and literally cruised in on fumes, man. And 10 wow. minutes after I, I got there, I got super sick. This is all going somewhere, by the way. I got super sick. And um, so, you know, the the mighty singer of the crucified is penniless and has no prospects is sick as a dog and has nothing to his name and uh, all those guys focused outnumbered um the blamed all these different guys um were there and they loved me and they they brought me soup and gave me a, a quiet dry place to sleep and uh awesome wow you know, it was it was amazing and uh that house that that apartment became what was known as the Newman house and a thousand bands were born out of there uh you know outnumbered may not have even been formed at that point yet it was just the guys from the band and uh the blamed wasn't a band yet and eventually formed and you know all these guys were living in this place and they just, it was like a totally new lease on life, man. And so I, you know, spent a little while getting back on my feet, got a job, you know, kind of try to get my brain turned on and uh, started spending time with Jeff Ballou and Dirk um, Lemonez, who were, you know, Jeff and Dirk were super good friends their whole lives. And, and Jeff was in the crucified with me and he had since moved back from Fresno down to Southern California. Um, we just started spending a lot of time together and, uh, you know, eventually you just want to make some music, man. And, um, these guys came over to, a, a apartment I had moved into a little later, a couple years after all that started, um, guys came over and said, you know, this is what we want to do. You want to, you want to be in a band with us. Um, after it became clear to them by me saying, I have no intentions of ever humiliating myself again, pretending to be a hip hop artist. And, uh, <laughs> I, I want to sing, you know, I wanted to sing. I always wanted to sing. The crucified was just yelling a lot. And, and I loved the band. I loved being in the crucified and so much of my life would, I'd have never met anyone, uh, if it wasn't for that band, you know, but it wasn't. I wasn't loving the music and I was just searching for something that I could passionately care about. But, I, you know, I was 22, 23 years old. I was dumb as hell. I, I don't know what I love. I don't know what I care about, you know, and it took some time to find that out. And it took getting stripped of pretty much everything and, and, uh, and being humbled really, I guess that's the best way I could say it. To realize that you you ain't shit, and you know you uh, you need to find a way to um, express that truth. And so, when when Dirk and Jeff said, "Hey, let's do this," and I, they played me these CDs, I was like, "I love everything about this." It was like the natural progression of where music was going in our minds. And so we formed Staves Acre like that, and um, the rest is you know. Uh, sorted history i guess that's an awesome story and very uplifting interestingly enough <laughs> i'm sorry it was so long but it's no just... i love it i love it so much all right so form safe saker um did a billion other projects fast forward to about 2006 ish i would assume you already hinted at this apparently jason martin had some songs he had been working on mm -hmm. how did 
neon horse come about? Because, like, this was the weird superstar group that no one knew anything about, and they had all this, like, fun publicity about them. Just how did all this come about? Uh, came about by fun, honestly. I, I just I know it sounds kind of trite, but honestly, man, me and Martin hit it off, and I love the guy. He's one of uh, the best friends I've ever made, and you know what? He is legit. We love him too. <laughs> He's a legit human being. You know, like you meet a lot of flaky people in Southern California and all over the place, really. I mean, I live in Florida, and I'd say the ratio of flaky people to regular people's about the same. Um, but you know, down there, it's just, I lived in California most of my life, 40 years, you know, and there's, there's a lot of phoniness. There's a lot of phony, um, Christianity. There's a lot of machismo. There's a lot of, uh, trying to turn Jesus into something that he ain't. And, uh, every once in a while you, you meet somebody who isn't trying to make him anything. Make God and Christianity anything other than what it is. And, you know, um, do I agree with everything that Jason believes or says or whatever? No, man, I'm grown. And, and he would say the same. But we have the same beliefs and the same God. And uh, he's legit. And, you know, I have seen far over my fair share of fake. And I'm just the real stuff lasts, you know. Um, so anyway, I... I was making this record um you know martin and i hit it off dude and um one day we're sitting there because I, I don't know if you guys have tracked team music or anything like that but there's it's all touch and go dude you know one guy does a thing for a while and then the other guy comes in you know nobody tracks music live like the movie the doors or something it's just it's that's not not the way things really work um especially if you want it to sound good <laughs> Unless, so, you're, unless you're print, unless you're Prince. I mean, yeah, and even then, dude. Yeah. I mean, Prince can play it all live, sure. But does everybody in his band? Did everybody in his band record live with him? I don't know about that. You know, especially no. if he's doing some of his own overdubs, he's probably playing seven mm-hmm. different instruments on every one of them records. You know, I mean, Lenny Kravitz wrote all of his first two records by himself. He wasn't playing all them instruments at one time. The point being, there's a lot of downtime. You know, you you come in, you do your part, you rest your voice for a little while, your your little your your little baby voice, give it a little baby's baba, drink you some tea, sit in a corner, and uh, let the actual musicians play. You know, so eventually, I, me and Martin just start kind of goofing around, and uh, I think we were talking about Bowie. It was either Bowie or Iggy Pop, and. Uh, you know, I don't know how, what song was sung, but he was like, you know, Solomon, you can actually sing. I did not know that, you know. Here's the thing, man. It's like all these bands, we say we don't know each other really. I don't know that guy. I mean, we know each other as acquaintances and stuff, but we really don't listen to each other's music, man. It's like, I don't know, you know, it's just the way it is. Sometimes you do, you know, I'll listen to an album here and there, but I'm, I'm uh, we're listening to the same music we're you know me and me and five other bands are probably listening to the same minor threat records you know what i'm saying like those are our real big links so you don't really yeah. get a get a healthy grasp of what other people can do and i guess martin just you know he didn't really he never really listened to staves acre i don't think and um 
when we got in there and started tracking the this demo that we were doing with him you know he could tell that i could carry a tune at least and i don't know we just sort of like he's like man i want to do this weird thing once you come in and uh and and just you know we'll just screw around and see what happens you know and uh he's like don't worry all the songs are short so if everybody hates it uh they they won't have to hate it for very long and uh so we went down there and uh after the stage acre stuff was done track and you know a couple months later uh i went out to to riverside where he was living at the time and we started uh screwing around with this demo and that's you know it basically started on kind of like well i don't know what do you want you know it takes a while to learn what the other person likes when you're writing with somebody but he and i just kind of i don't know once we like shook off a little rust it was it was easy and pretty much if i could make martin laugh i knew i did something good <laughs> that's pretty much it man that's it <laughs> you know he would he'd say i need this voice to sound this way or whatever and you know because i can do a lot of different stuff and uh and he just got a kick out of it so i don't know that's that's really how it was born man okay i got you we we'll talk about it later but the first several times i listened to this record i sincerely thought there were two different vocalists on it yeah, that's um. the idea that's the <laughs> idea you know i'll tell you this we wanted to um we weren't trying to be sneaky or anything like that really you know, this, this is the truth. This is the simple fact. If I come from Stavesacre and the Crucified and Martin comes from Starflyer 59, these are three very distinct voices that people are expecting, you know? Um, and yeah, you can pick up on Martin's guitar here and there and people could tell that it was me once they kind of started listening, but only because and i firmly believe this only because their expectations were zero you know if you are introduced to a record that's made by two musicians who you're very familiar with you're going to expect it to sound a certain way and we wanted it to sound how we wanted it to sound so we figure if they don't know who would what to expect when they hear it then they'll maybe come at it with a little different you know, a little less bias or whatever, and, and a little more, uh, you know, open to hear something different. And that really was the whole reason why we kind of kept our names on the DL. You know, we just wanted to like give the music that we wrote a chance to be heard as its own thing. And that's why when we said, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was like a, there was like a promo video that Tooth and Nail put together that the, um, the Clark brothers did. It was amazing. It's incredible uh this little animation and that by the way is why everybody said right, is it a gorillas type of thing you know the combination of who's in the band and a cartoon means must be gorillas which is not the thing at all you know we just it was something they wanted to do and we're like hell yeah do it that'll be cool and it was it was awesome so but if you if you watch that promo you'll see that it says like you know 20 plus bands or something like that um, you know, from the wreckage of 20 something bands or whatever. Well, we've both been in easily 20 bands. So we just sort of, you know, yeah, we, uh, that we, is we stretched true. that out a little bit. We stretched <laughs> it out a little bit. You know? I think the mythology and stuff surrounding Neon Hearts was one of the most fun things about it. 
I actually just watched that promo the other day when I was doing some research for this. It was so cool. That's cool. See, I I think that's fun, dude. In this day and age, records come out, you know, it's usually a digital release. And, and, and that's just the way things are. And, you know, it's up to the artist to find ways to captivate their, their audience. But in that transitional period, that's a really hard thing for people that, to, to navigate, you know. Um, bands had, for years, for decades, had been putting together albums with little secret messages and stuff that you could, like, you pop the record on or the CD on and you lay on the floor and read the liner notes, right? You know, nobody does that anymore. And people were not doing that in the, in the early aughts. They were already over that. You know, everything was digital, was going to downloads and all that. So you have to find a way to make it a little more fun and a little more, uh, a little more mystique, or else it's just this flat thing. You know, so we we just we tried to do what we could and we did our best. And uh, I still think the music, you know, kills. So <laughs> I love it. So uh, absolutely. Okay. So. Uh, so um, in the the liner notes for the first Neon Horse album, it doesn't really list any names except for Norman the Horse as the singer, which I'm assuming is you. Right, um, right. Who, who, who else was involved in the creation of this album? Okay, well, one thing to clarify. Norman Horse is the name that <laughs> Jason and I are huge fans of Larry Norman. Okay. Like, he, we grew up on Yes, awesome. And... Uh, so as it was already, you know, Larry was definitely a reference, whether you hear it or not, he absolutely was it's at certain moments in particular. And uh, <clears throat> so there's that. And then when I was born, my biological father's name is Mark Solomon, and uh, he wanted to name me Mark Norman Solomon. And my mom said, no, my son's middle name is not going to be Norman which was apparently my grandfather's name. I don't know my biological dad. I don't know his dad, none of that stuff. But I always thought, you know, as an alias, Norman's kind of rad. So we we just called me Norman and we we really wanted to be able to do all these different sounds, but not have a bunch of other people in the band because not everybody has the same vision, you know? And because I can do other stuff, Martin wanted to take advantage of it. So all the different voices every single voice on the record is me every falsetto every saucy uh you know there are times when i try to access martin gore sometimes i try to access david gahan sometimes uh, uh, danny elfman sometimes bon scott sometimes iggy pop sometimes bowie you know sometimes morrison man i just wanted to do anything that it felt kind of cool to do i'll do it and uh you know so martin would the way it worked with martin would would write the music um send me a uh you know a little demo or something like that uh i pop it on my phone and just listen to it all the time like i do anything else stage deck or any band and um and then i would come up with little stuff that i thought martin would think was funny and <laughs> that's pretty much how the melodies were written um once we tracked them uh, you know, Martin would do like the basic tracks and sometimes it'd be a drum machine or whatever. And then he'd come in and do an actual drum take, which is so much more necessary for that music. But when the time came to actually put the album on and, and record it in the studio, I know Steve Dale played some bass 
um, on it. And I think Bazan did a song or two on the drums, but I don't know. I honestly don't know. Martin knows 5,000 people did. So, you know, anybody could come through. There's probably a couple other people who strum some guitars on there that I don't even know. Um, and then, you know, once it was all done, we sent it off to get uh, mixed. You know, we just hoped for something cool. And that was always the case. Um, when it came back, I was always really stoked on it. So, you know, uh, we had a producer whose name all of a sudden is now, I can't, come up with his name because I'm old and my brain is broken. But, uh, and then, you know, Steve Gale and also um, Randy Torres was there for the tracking of the album as well. Okay. So, yeah, they'd kind of help get the sounds around. Um, and we'll talk about it once we go over the album itself, but I, I got a couple good little stories. Yeah. Do, so who, so who was on key, there's like keyboards or synths or stuff in the background. Is that Jason? That's all Jason. I mean, honestly, okay, any, cool. any, no, nothing written, musically written was written by anyone other than Jason. And most of it was played by him. Dude, he's, he's, he's ridiculous. I, I mean, yeah, I know a lot of good musicians. Um, there's, I've played with plenty of guys who are, are, are outstanding, but, but Martin can write and uh, he has, uh, he's very dedicated to doing things um, the right way. And it's uh, it's no surprise that he has like you know three thousand albums or whatever. And that's why we're here. We agree with you hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. And I'm I'm really happy to finally hear the lineup because like Legend had it on the internet for years up until yeah, today dude, that like Ronnie was in it. It was in the. Band. I don't think Ronnie played anything on it because I think he was already living in Ohio by then. So, you know, okay. but because gotcha. of Ronnie and because of, you know, electric, yeah. Yeah. that's a, a logical conclusion. But I mean, you got to remember, dude, Jason and Ronnie, they, I think they were in a band back. Uh, Dance House Children. Yeah. Crucified yeah. era. So, you know. And then they, they did Brothers Martin stuff too. And then the Dow Lim record by Jason, which we'll get to, was, sounds like a Troy Electric record with guitars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, very, I mean, dude, this is a family that's not to be trifled with, man. But they were around, you know, long before I, I met them. They were playing music and stuff, and just the Crucified just never happened to play a show with them, you know, so we never really met each other. All right, so now that all the, the mystery has been laid to rest, and honestly, that answers some of my other questions, like, you know, the Cuckoo music video is bizarre, but I get it now that you were just kind of trying to make each other laugh. Okay, uh, well, there's more to that Cuckoo video than <laughs> that meets the eye. We'll but... save it. We'll save it for, we'll save it for later. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I forgot about got... that as of right now. Literally forgot about it. Yeah, it's, um, it's something. We'll get to it. But... <laughs> <laughs> you um you guys made one other neon horse project and then like you said kind of the spiritual successor white lighter have you guys ever talked about doing another neon horse project because like i said i still have the mythology behind this band and this idea and just kind of the i wish it would have went even further kind of like the gorillas where it had all these animation to it and stuff but uh, either way have you guys ever thought about doing it again oh uh, yeah we talk about it you know nothing's uh nothing's been um 
nothing's guaranteed, of course, but also nothing's said no. And we've we've had some ideas and tossed them around. But the truth is, you know, life is busy, man. And uh, and, you know, we're not going to put anything out there that we don't think um, will impress uh, the, the neon horse fans that already exist. We're not trying to disappoint anybody, you know. We want it to be cool. And uh, I could tell you there have been some really cool ideas uh, for sure. And there'll be a couple more layers of uh, intrigue to throw on top of that when, when it's all said and done. But um, I, I would say I put the I put the likelihood of new Neon Horse music at about 60% right now. How about that? That's oh, good. 60%. I like okay. That. Okay. I do too. Yeah. Um, you Anything else you want to hint at there while we have you here? <laughs> no man that's i don't give away all the good stuff dude you gotta uh, figure that shit out on your own <laughs> all right <laughs> all right um well we're wrapping up here but um a couple questions and then we'll let you go um first off um where um you know growing up as a state sacred fan um i followed your music um and then read your book simplicity and in that book you pretty much are pretty honest brutally honest at points which really shocked me i appreciate it though about your spiritual journey um where are you right now spiritually i mean uh you know we talked about this this is a tricky question um I, I still believe, I still pray, I still love Jesus, I, I love people. Uh, I have zero, zero interest in American cultural Christianity, American evangelicalism. All that stuff has nothing to do with me, man. And it hasn't had anything to do with me long before anybody started saying ex-evangelical or whatever, dude. I don't have any interest in making things more complex, man. I, I believe my faith and my beliefs are simple. They're meant for simple people. Um, and if you start everything out with love thy neighbor as thyself, uh, I think you're good, you know. Um, I don't need anyone to make it any more complicated. I know what I believe. I, my job is not to have a conversation with anyone and change what they believe, but to love them enough to cause them to see that there's truth in, in, in my beliefs. And unfortunately, that is not as immediate as our current culture enjoys, but that's just the way it is, you know. Um, I agree with I, that. It's the best I can do, man. I I have no interest in getting involved in any of these conversations. I hate all the politics, the political parties, but by virtue of being a white man in America, I have to be politically minded because uh, that is a convenience that only I would enjoy to be able to not be. And so, you know, I have to at least pay attention. I am definitely opinionated about stuff, but even then my opinions about politics are irrelevant. You know, if I don't love people the way I have been loved, what good am I? I mean, who am I? I'm, I'm no one. I'm, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the guy who was forgiven a huge debt and uh, went to collect on some trivial shit. Like that's not my bag, man. I'm, uh, I just want to be grateful for the grace and uh, and and hope I don't make it worse. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I used to be a pastor and everything, and um, I'm agnostic and I'm a black male and, and I have to be political because so many policies affect me a lot and Absolutely. usually not great. So I need to know what's going on. 
Um, but I'm with you. And right now, my wife and I were watching the Invent and Anna show on um, Netflix. And one of the characters said something that really resonated with me. Somebody said something very snarky, mean to somebody. And the person responded with, of all the things you could be as a person, why not choose to be kind? I was like, I yes. That's lovely. Exactly. Exactly. It's very lovely. It's like, yeah, just yeah, be kind. You can be anything. Why not be kind? What does it cost I mean, you? <laughs> when when somebody's first impression of you is that you're an arrogant prick uh, and they can carry it for decades later, <laughs> you need to do some self-examination. So my apologies for forever offending you or, or hurting your feelings or anything, man. I, I'm just on on the path, dude. Trying to be no, dude. Mark. Mark's referring to something a conversation we had earlier. You and like I said, you didn't offend me or take. I wasn't taken aback. It's just you know, I just it it was seemed on, um, seemed on brand for you at the time. And based <laughs> on when I met you, based off simplicity, the simplicity book, it it really made sense. So I I didn't take any offense, but that's not here or there. Go ahead, Sam. What you got? All right, one last question. Um, you have given so abundantly of your time and have yet to give more time. So we want to give you guys the opportunity. Do you have any current projects you feel like plugging? Um, music, art, GoFundMes because you need to fix your house, whatever it may be. <laughs> uh, the only thing I would say is that my dear friend, uh, Burrito, Burrito Viapondo, uh, <clears throat> passed away uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now uh, from COVID. And uh, it broke my heart. He... If it was not for a burrito, I would never have be having this conversation. I'd never have met any of these people, you know. Um, honestly, a lot of people owe a burrito some gratitude because he really brought a lot of the early scene together. You know, Billy Power and 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 myself have known him since we were uh, little teenagers. And the man passed away. Uh, there's a GoFundMe posted up on my. Uh, on my Instagram and on my um, Twitter, it's uh, what they call it pinned on my on my Twitter homepage. If you if you could kick in to help them out, that'd be awesome, man. That'd be a really nice thing to do. For myself, artistically, I'm you know I'm working on a couple things of my own, some stuff that I hope to sort of surprise y'all with, and you know I'll let you know when that happens. Awesome. Dope. I saw that post and uh, I read that and I didn't, you shared a lot in that. Uh, that was really heartfelt and I appreciate you sharing that. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. Thanks. All right. Well, um, Mark, thank you so much for your time tonight and everyone listening to stay tuned. We will have a uh, track by track review of neon horse coming up. Have a good night. I'm looking. Thank I'm looking you. Very nice. Thanks Mark again. <laughs> yes, of course.